0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, senior features and analysis writer.
1: And I'm Russell Hargrave, senior news reporter at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector.
0: Each week we sit down for a quick fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world.
1: And this week we're discussing cryptocurrency and blockchain.
0: And in this week's Good News Bulletin, we've got a very romantic volunteering story.
1: But first, let's talk about cryptocurrencies. For a number of years, Charities have been urged to explore the opportunities presented by cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens. In 2018, a report commissioned by the think tank Charity Futures, titled Nothing to Lose But Your Chains, argued the charity sector was behind the curve and missing opportunities in the cryptocurrency landscape. More recently, Block, a US-based platform that enables charities to accept crypto donations, processed $100 million in cryptocurrency donations in 2021, and it predicts this figure will surge to a $1 billion by the end of this year. The platform itself claims crypto traders are the fastest growing donor demographic. But again, we should say that is the platform's own figures.
0: And cryptocurrencies have been proving increasingly unstable. And last month, the Wikimedia Foundation, the charity that hosts the crowdsourced online encyclopedia Wikipedia, announced it would no longer accept cryptocurrency donations, citing concerns around the extremely risky and inherently predatory nature of cryptocurrencies and about the environmental toll. In related news, in February, the conservation charity WWF announced plans to sell digital artwork, non-fungible tokens, to raise money for its work. But following a backlash on Twitter, it stopped the scheme just 48 hours after launch, and at the time of recording is, quote, still assessing its use of NFTs.
1: And one of the things that I remember from um, sitting in an event for another uh, charity sector news organisation, whose name I shall not mention, but going back about 18 months sitting in, a, in an event, um, with a room of hundreds of charity finance people, and we've been talking about cryptocurrency. And I said, look, I get, and I'm sure Rebecca gets the same thing, five or 10 or 15 emails every single day from people claiming that cryptocurrency is the future of charity sector fundraising. So I asked these finance people, put your hand up. If any of you have actually ever accepted any cryptocurrency donations, not a hand in the room went up. So a lot of noise, a lot of potential, I'm sure, but also not actually a huge amount going on on the ground at the moment.
0: And I think charities seem to be caught between two impulses. And I think a lot of people uh, generally feel like this, that you don't want to be the person sort of going, oh, well, I don't really see you know, what the fuss is about being able to link two computers up yeah. via a telephone and have produce uh, some text everybody can look at. Why would that be useful? You don't want to be that person, but at the same time, you also don't want to kind of get into a kind of emperor's new clothes situation where everybody's saying it's great, so it must be. And some of it does seem to be, it's so complex that people are a little bit worried about going either way, I think. I think there is a fear there.
1: Well and charities are in a particular position because of two things really. One is they have a responsibility financially that, you know, businesses can take far more risks, so can other bits of the economy. Charities really aren't supposed to, their financial decisions are supposed to be pretty small C conservative. So anything that looks a bit riskier, a bit newer, a bit more unusual, maybe you do kind of shy away from that a little bit. And also look, Finance people, charities are the same as finance people everywhere. They don't like things that look very volatile and certain where they can't forecast. You know, you talk to any accountant or finance experts, they're talking about five and 10 year forecasts and predictions. They don't want to get involved with stuff where the lines are going jiggly-jaggly all over the place on the bar chart because they just feel very nervous about it. That's how all finance people feel. Charity finance, exactly the same.
0: Yeah, and that must be very frustrating for people within charities who do want to see innovation. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, I think charity being risk-averse that is a double-edged sword for charities.
1: In a moment, we're going to be joined by Roderick Davis, philanthropy expert in residence at the Payers Foundation, to chat about what the crypto future might look like for charities. But first, we should probably start with a quick explainer for the listeners. Something nice and simple. Rebecca, what are cryptocurrencies?
0: Okay, so this I did write a piece for Third Sector's website recently about cryptocurrencies and then realised halfway through that the downside of writing about cryptocurrencies is that you do have to explain cryptocurrencies. I have
1: every faith in you.
0: Yeah, okay, I can definitely do this. So cryptocurrencies are digital currencies, so they are only used online. They are underpinned by blockchain, which is a technology that creates a public, immutable ledger of financial transactions. So in theory, this ledger prevents fraud from happening in the currency, because if the amount of money you say you have doesn't line up with the ledger, then that's clearly not true. It also removes the need for a middleman such as a bank. This technology also powers non-fungible tokens or NFTs, which allow pieces of digital artwork to be bought and sold, but not replicated. So you can say, if you've got the artwork, you own the only copy of this, even though it's digital, it's not the same as having like an oil paint, but you still have the only copy. Um, So, Rodri is here with us now. Rodri, how did I do on that explainer?
2: Yeah, I think that that was good. I've certainly been put in the position of having to uh, explain cryptocurrency many times in the past, and I tend to shy away from the challenge or at least kind of downplay it, because I think from the charity point of view, actually it's easy to get lost in the fog of, you know, what are cryptocurrencies, what's blockchain, you know, are these things genuinely something we should care about? And I think actually focusing more on, what are the key features of them in terms of what they allow you to do and what does that mean for charities both you know good or bad i think is is what's more relevant
0: no that makes a lot of sense so what are the kind of potential benefits or opportunities for charities associated with engaging with cryptocurrency do you think
2: um I mean I guess the the most basic one is that people have made actual money in cryptocurrency so there's potentially this sort of new pool of donors to tap into uh and there's a suspicion that they might not be the same people uh either because they're people who've sort of made enormous amounts of money and so they're kind of you know potential big fish philanthropists or actually there's a kind of younger generation of people you know millennials and and gen z who actually do own small amounts of cryptocurrency you know probably because they've grown up during a period when interest rates are incredibly low, they've got no chance of getting on the housing ladder. It seems you know as good a bet as anything else. Why not have a little bit of cryptocurrency so from the charity point of view, tapping into to some of these groups that might not have been their traditional donors is probably quite appealing and and then there are sort of particular things about cryptocurrency that often get put forward as as additional benefits there's there's the the idea that it could be radically transparent, so you know you would be able to not only kind of keep track of donations uh, at an overall scale but be able to track individual donations from a, from a person all the way through a charity and sort of out the other side and see how that money was spent that's still slightly more theoretical than, than actually happening in practice. And, you know, there are kind of arguments to be had about whether it's genuinely a good or a bad thing. Um, but these are the kinds of uh, things that the technology might enable people to do.
0: Okay, so for you, a lot of it is, is much more about kind of how charities can make use of the money generated by it, as much as should they be open to accepting crypto? Should they be investing in it themselves?
2: I think so only in that I you know I've kind of been doing stuff about crypto and blockchain for the last 10 years and I think I started thinking oh it's just you know a new form of money in a slightly naive way and and wondering about fundraising and then I went into you know all down all these rabbit holes about well, what can blockchain technology do? How can you create sort of digital objects and all, and all this sort of stuff? And I think that there is something genuinely interesting in lots of those areas. I think increasingly there's reason for caution and some reason for skepticism. But I think what I come back to is the reality is at the moment most of what's actually happening in terms of charities engaging with crypto is fairly straightforward. Can we find a way of? taking money from people who have some money they want to give in crypto and to be honest in most cases that i've seen not even taking crypto necessarily finding ways of using intermediaries to to be able to allow donations to be made in, in crypto but then just turned back into normal money as quickly as possible so from the charity's point of view they're barely even really touching the crypto world
1: and you and Rebecca have both outlined sort of potential, really, uh, what this relatively new mechanism of money is and how charities could approach it. How much real demand is there out there? Has there been a lot of engagement from the charity sector, or is it all more or less theoretical at the moment?
2: I think I think there's a danger that there's more hype and rhetoric than reality. And I think that's something that's kind of baked into the cryptocurrency world i mean if you spend any time on you know crypto social media and crypto twitter it's just full of people uh hyping things and there's a sort of self-interest in that because obviously people who have bought into the idea of crypto have an interest in making sure everybody else agrees (laughs) that it's actually worth something so that the value kind of you know goes up and stays up i think from what i've seen from the charity's point of view i get a sense that you know, there are charities that have genuinely kind of dipped a toe and made a success of it and managed to to kind of land some fairly kind of hefty donations as a result. And And, you know, if they've done that in a way where they've gone into it with their eyes open and they know what they're doing, good luck to them. I think, you know, it's successful fundraising. I think the fact that we still see the same small handful of examples going around and around year after year suggests to me that it isn't necessarily a huge phenomenon um i think maybe there's a bit more of it going on in the us than in the uk um but but even there i you know i kind of all of the figures that we have at the moment kind of come from the the crypto giving intermediaries themselves or from sort of donor advised funds that are taking crypto and whilst i'm not saying that they're not true i think we just kind of need to take them slightly with a pinch of salt because we don't have good objective figures at the moment on the the real scale of that market.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, when we were talking about, uh, when we sort of spoke previously for for the article I wrote about this previously, you were kind of saying like, this is something that has been around for 10 years and we've been discussing the potential of it. And and one thing that really struck me was you just sort of said, okay, but we don't seem to have moved past that talking about the potential stage yet. We're still kind of going, oh yeah, no, it could be really big. And it is interesting that none of that has started to happen in quite the way that, you know, say, after 10 years of social media, the landscape had radically changed, like with previous sort of technologies that have changed the world, the uptake was a bit quicker and the kind of the the blossoming of that potential was much quicker.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, you know, the thing I find odd in a way is that I'm, Some of the stuff I was writing and saying about crypto, you know, eight or nine years ago was relatively speculative at that point. But I thought, oh, well, it's only a matter of time before somebody makes this happen. And, you know, things there about kind of radical transparency or using crypto in order to get money to places in the world where it's difficult to do that because financial infrastructure is lacking and things like that. And it has happened in sort of isolated cases and at a sort of small scale But I think where I've seen people working for quite a long time on platforms or or products that are trying to sort of make this stuff happen in reality, either nothing has really come of it or they've managed to get it at best to a kind of minimum viable product stage. And then in many cases, what I've seen is people actually move on to a different technology and decide that, you know, blockchain is actually really kind of clunky and over-engineered for the sorts of problems they're trying to solve. And I think there's a slight sense that apart from the bit that's just cryptocurrency and how can we tap into it because it's money, all the other stuff, I don't know, I'm I'm coming around to thinking that there isn't necessarily that killer use case at the moment. And maybe blockchain is slightly a kind of solution in search of a problem when it comes to charities.
0: And do we think charities are seeing a big consumer demand, so demand from donors to engage with cryptocurrency, do you think? Um, I
2: don't know. I mean, how many charities, I, I think in, in quite a few of the cases where charities have ended up making a success of taking donations in, in sort of Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other cryptocurrency, it probably has been driven by supporters in the sense of they've been approached by existing or new supporters who say, look, we, we've got some of this cryptocurrency that we would like to give to you. Probably because for most organizations, otherwise, the the time it takes to, to get the knowledge required to even sort of engage with crypto and, and to sort of think through the risks isn't worth it. You know, necessarily, because it's it's not—it's not—you know—the size of the prize isn't that apparent. Whereas, if somebody says, "Look, we've got ten grand that we want to give to you, and if you can just make it possible for us to give it in Bitcoin, we will do that," maybe that makes it worth going out and sort of setting up the mechanism for for doing it. So, I suspect it is kind of driven by by the by the donors. But whether that that suggests a sort of mass upsurge of demand from from donors across the board, I'm, I'm not sure. I've seen signs of that so far.
1: Well, another thing that might be suppressing demand as well is some of the controversy around this stuff. So charities haven't engaged a huge amount um, from the sounds of things. And then where some have, it's been to issue warnings. So the Wikimedia Foundation recently talked about cryptocurrency being risky, and they described it as inherently predatory. What do you think they're alluding to there?
2: Well, I think, yeah, the, the Wikimedia Foundation story is really interesting I, I mean, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that they were one of the earliest organizations to kind of get on board with crypto in, in the first place. Um, and, you know, they're sort of part of that world of internet freedoms and, and kind of, you know, digital civil society. So it seemed natural. And And also the adoption of crypto in the first place was driven by the fact they have this kind of not unique, but quite unusual, highly democratic structure where people who are involved in the wikimedia Foundation sort of vote on on things and they go along with with the majority. And I think that's what drove them in the first place to to get involved in crypto way back when. but it's also the thing that has led to them getting out again because um there was a sort of grassroots campaign from within people involved in the wikimedia foundation who were quite concerned about cryptocurrency and quite skeptical about it uh and that was was what led uh to them getting out and i think you know those concerns that they alluded to i think they talked about environmental impact and general scamminess which was a phrase that i liked. (laughs) i think on the environmental impact this is something that i think increasingly charities and the public are aware of which is that uh, cryptocurrencies and particularly blockchain technology in, in its current form, or at least in it's a slightly technical thing, but the bit of it that relies on uh, proof of work consensus protocol, which is one way of making blockchain work, um, is very, very energy intensive by design. Uh, and so it uses vast amounts of, of electricity. Now, there are other ways of, of doing uh, blockchain that are much less energy intensive, but they're not the norm at the moment. So I think a lot of uh, organizations are wary of getting involved in Bitcoin for, for that reason, if no, you know, no other reason. And I think in terms of the general scamminess, again that's this is part of the problem i think even if there is something genuinely you know interesting and worth exploring about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology as soon as you get into that world you realize quite how many charlatans there are and fraudsters and people kind of you know selling their their new token as the next big thing that's going to solve x y or z and it's uh you know it's quite dispiriting and i think for for charities maybe they just sort of feel as though they're better off out of it because it, it just feels like a world they don't really want to get involved in.
0: And how much do you think as well, as well as that kind of fear of sort of, yeah, of like you say that there are kind of scams, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, is also about the potential for reputational damage of being involved with with crypto?
2: Yeah, I think there is that. And I think, I think it's a couple of different things. I think... Um, you know, we've already seen, for instance, you know, WWF uh, got involved both in sort of um, wanting to take cryptocurrency donations, but I think even beyond that, they were quite proactively exploring creating their own non-fungible tokens or NFTs, uh, and they put out, you know, quite a sort of positive press release about it earlier this year, or maybe towards the end of last year, uh, and got a lot of pushback from people making the point that, you know, as an environmental organisation it was really not acceptable for them to be endorsing a technology that was seen to be so detrimental environmentally. And also, I think, in terms of the way they designed their non-fungible tokens, there was this, I mean, it probably seemed like a great idea, but I think they created these NFTs with the idea that they would be linked to particular um, sort of endangered species and the value of the NFT would be sort of inversely proportional to how rare the species was, which somebody then went and pointed out was a an incentive for people to go around killing all of these animals to <laughs> increase the value, of, which wouldn't necessarily have happened, but just goes to show that you kind of, if you go into these things, you know, slightly without thinking them through, there is reputational risk. Um, and then I think more broadly, even for organizations that don't feel as though they'll be held to account on environmental grounds, There are just other questions, um, I think, about particularly whether or not you can genuinely be confident that you know where donations are coming from, which is, you know, a a challenge always for charities to make sure the kind of the sources of wealth that, that result in donations being made are ethically acceptable. But in a world where, you know, whilst it might not be entirely anonymous it's definitely pseudonymous so you kind of have a name or a wallet address and you know that sends you ten thousand pounds or something unless you have a way of linking that to a to an individual or an organization in the real world and checking that they're the sort of people you want to be doing business with then you might put yourself in a position where you have donations coming in and it turns out they're proceeds of crime or something else like that Uh, And we've already seen a couple of instances of organizations getting their their fingers burned, you know, in that way.
0: Yeah, it was interesting when I was doing the research for that piece, I did speak to a couple of charities who apparently do accept crypto. And there was a lot of hesitation to chat to me about it, actually, about why they do it. Um, And I, I think part of that was only really one person in the organization knows much about it and they're not around. But some of it, I think, was... Uh, I don't don't want to shout too loudly about this in the sector press uh, which I thought was interesting because I I wasn't coming at at it from a point of view of you're doing something wrong I was like can you tell me why this is worth engaging with and yeah there was a lot of discomfort there
1: (laughs) I mean our last question really Rodri and we like to hold our interviewees feet to the fire a little bit I mean how much do you think this space for charities Is going to grow in the future? Do you think, despite all of these concerns, we're going to see more engagement, or do you think it's going to sort of peter out? And as you say, sort of in a year's time, we're going to be talking about a completely different set of technologies that are going to change the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult to know, isn't it? I think there's there's a a famous uh, saying that I was sort of fall back on in these things. A guy a guy called Roy Amara, who's a futurist, um, always says we're kind of we, we tend to overestimate the impacts of new technologies in the short term and then underestimate them in the longer term. And I think that, that probably feels quite apposite here because I think... Whether or not cryptocurrencies in their current form or blockchain technology last the distance, you know, if I knew better than anybody else, I'd have made millions investing in this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, as we're recording this, it, people are sort of writing the the obituaries, not for the first time for for cryptocurrency as a whole, because the markets have once again kind of plunged. Um, so I think at the moment you know any charities that aren't already involved in this would definitely if they read the news not be thinking about it whether the market goes back up again and people start getting optimistic I don't know um, I think you know the only things that make me think maybe there is slightly more longevity to this is you know we saw during the pandemic so many organizations having to kind of make this fast switch to to working digitally and thinking about different ways of fundraising and some of that was about just doing the stuff you would have been doing offline, online and, you know, kind of turning big uh, fundraising events into online events. And that's great. But I think also quite a few organizations took the opportunity to experiment with genuinely new forms of digital fundraising, including crypto. And I wonder whether some of them sort of found actually opens up these, you know, potential whole new pools of donors. Um, I think the, the thing for me that is probably more interesting about all this stuff is whether or not, it does end up, you know, whether crypto philanthropy or charities and crypto ends up being a thing, or we kind of look back in five or 10 years and we're like, oh, what was all that about? I think some of the the potential, you know, things that you're able to do as a result of the technology, at least in theoretical terms, even if, you know, as we've said, they haven't necessarily panned out in practice, I think those will be still around. So I think the idea, for instance, that you can have radical transparency and kind of track donations all the way through organizations now that people have it in their heads that, that that's even a possibility people will pursue that i think the same with nfts you know whether nfts in their current very overblown uh, state are are basically you know dutch tulips or a south sea bubble or whatever i think there's a certain degree to which that probably is the case but the idea of creating unique digital objects with attributes i think that's not going to go away so i think even if charities don't want to kind of launch their own nft range at the moment if they're looking ahead to the future they should be thinking actually once all this fuss and noise dies down what is interesting about the idea that as we increasingly live our lives online or even in the metaverse that there will be this whole new world of digital assets and you know that might be something that people start to think about giving or fundraising um, so I think if we can get away from the immediate heat and noise and think you know a bit longer term about uh, what some of the sort of affordances are in terms of what they're able to do then we start to to latch on to what's actually interesting.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the metaverse there, because if you talk to some fundraisers like uh, Lisa Harwood, she's like, oh, never mind this crypto nonsense. This is yes, That's yesterday's thing. It's all about the metaverse, which I think is probably a, a, an issue for another podcast at some point. Um, but uh, in the meantime, that seems like a good place to leave it. So thank you very much for joining us, Roger. I really appreciate that.
2: Great, thanks for having me.
1: Each week, we're bringing you a good news bulletin, positive or quirky news stories that we've spotted in the sector. What have you got for us, Rebecca?
0: Well, firstly, I've actually got a question for you, Russell. Uh, How did you meet your wife?
1: Oh, these stories are always so cutesy. I'm not sure that mine is a particularly cute story. And also, it goes back into the midst of time. So I think I've forgotten most of the details. But um, I met Ingrid at university. It was my second week. Um, I had the most stinking freshers flu, as so many people do around that time. And I walked into a, a seminar room um, and the person I was sitting next to, a very beautiful young woman, offered me a pack of tissues. And I thought, well, she's a keeper. Um, and that was Ingrid. And the rest is history. Um, she did later tell me that it was more a sort of a sympathetic gesture because I looked so pathetic rather than kind of love at first sight. Um, but uh, from there, you know, a lot of work went into that from the pack of tissues onwards. And um, and it's been happily ever after. Um, what that about is you, incredibly Rebecca?
0: sweet. i just going to say that. Is, is it? Is it not pathetic? I- Yes, but that doesn't make it not sweet. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm I'm pretty sure I've I probably told this story on the podcast before um but yeah I met my husband through online dating uh, as one does in the modern world um I signed up to back in the day it was Guardian Soulmates mm-hmm. uh, uh so it wasn't one of the kind of apps um and I went on three dates with three different people and he was date number 3 which makes me absolutely insufferable for my friends who are currently wading through the absolute slough of grimness that he's online dating or can be online dating because I'm just like yeah yeah you go for a couple of drinks and then boom love of your life is there problem solved and you just marry him and that's that's that and I, I think people there are people who want to strangle me when I give up dating advice so I don't um, of course
1: what I really want to know is what happened on dates numbers one and two what was the road not traveled but um- <laughs> But those those guys are still wandering around the desert somewhere feeling that, you know, their lives aren't worth living because it all slips through their fingers, Well,
0: right? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, there There is a story, but definitely for another time. <laughs> uh, otherwise, this show just becomes Rebecca's dating life. Um But a more unusual way to meet a partner is through volunteering. And the international development charity Mercy Ships, which organises hospitals on ships to offer medical support to underserved areas in Africa, estimates that since 1980, more than 520 couples have met and tied the knot after volunteering for the charity. Which I I love that this is a metric that they're measuring, Mm. Just just to put that in there. How many people have you helped? How many people have you helped get married? Great. Um, so this is a story in the news, which is the local paper in Portsmouth, um, about the most recent of those 520 couples who live in Portsmouth and who are using their wedding to raise money for the charity. So Brit Nick Granger-Brown and the Canadian Irene Blotsky boarded the same plane to West Africa from Belgium and then were on the same transport to the same hospital ship and then were put in neighbouring cabins. And they were amused by the coincidence and they started chatting. Which again, very lovely meet you. I really like that. He was an engineer and... And she was a nurse and they had both volunteered to use their skills on the ship. And this was in January 2020. And we all know what happens in stories that begin early 2020. I was doing such and such. They were due to spend two months on the ship, but just as their time was coming to an end obviously, the pandemic struck. So they decided to stay on the ship for as long as possible to do what they could. They were distributing PPE, they were sort of helping with medical emergencies uh, but also because they wanted to be together and Irene uh, told the newspaper that COVID was actually a great thing for us personally because we got longer to get to know each other, which uh, is very sweet. Mm-hmm. They went their separate ways in June 2020 but spoke every day and then in August 2020 Irene moved to England. Nick popped the question at Easter 2021 uh, hiding the ring in an Easter egg which, uh, nice touch, well, that's, that's about that's a fun one pretty impressive Um, so they've done the legal bit of the wedding ceremony but because of the pandemic they have postponed the full celebration until next month when they'll be getting married in Lewis and they're asking guests to donate money to Mercy Ships instead of giving them gifts
1: very on brand very Very impressive
0: yes raising money for charity which we love to see so yeah congratulations to Nick and Irene and to the other 519 couples who've met on board Mercy Ships while donating I
1: like to think that you could have a sort of league table here so Mercy Ships 520 how many people hooked up because they met at bernardo's
0: this is true how many people
1: first held hands because Medicine Sans frontier brought them together do you know what i mean if charities aren't doing that sort of research honestly what's it all for
0: i mean i feel this is an opportunity for a call out so if you are listening to this podcast and you do know of a romantic story involving employees or volunteers at your charity like get in touch we want to hear it i think that sounds great
1: i don't think we should be put in charge of like dating (laughs) dating
0: advice <laughs> not dating advice but post post success celebrations i guess
1: okay uh, yeah. that's fair post enough. Couple, yeah yeah, yeah. because i'm not i'm not kind of deer dear, dear i think that would end extremely <laughs> badly i barely know what i'm doing in this job the idea of lining me up for another one in a more sensitive area is just a bad move
0: fair enough fair enough well in that case we'll be back with another episode soon so make sure you subscribe to this the third sector podcast on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it
1: Until then, I'm Russell Hargrave. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. Thank you to our guest, Rodri Davis, and to our excellent producer, Aidan Lyons, at Rethink Audio. We'll see you next week.
0: Okay, so uh, just, sorry, a quick little coda addendum to this story. Uh, We finished recording, and then our producer, Aidan, looked at us and went, what? There are no puns this week and then proceeded to list off some puns that he'd been sat there coming up with so in honor of, of Aidan uh first one which I particularly like is uh, starting an ox family
1: very nice um he wanted to know what was happening to the British Love Heart Foundation that's my favorite I
0: think that is excellent he
1: also suggested that if things go really really well then you might be able to make the children
0: making the children rather than save the children yep excellent
1: fab stuff anyway we knew it wasn't complete without puns imagine coming in here with without any puns i know i know
0: sorry that is that is a failure on my part and i will i will do better next week i promise